Thank you for joining us for this week's broadcast of A Word from the Lord. Today, Dr. Beach brings us a message he preached last year on Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. It is entitled, Contemplating Those Mighty Acts. Here now is our teacher for A Word from the Lord, Dr. Foley Beach. Well, today is Palm Sunday, as you've probably figured out. And the liturgy, it's quite interesting, the liturgy starts with the palms, Liturgy of the Palms, and then it jumps right into Good Friday. And a lot of people wonder why we do that. Well, at some point along in church history, people figured out that nobody came to church, or not many people came to church on Good Friday, and wanted the people of God to hear the story of God, of what He did on the cross for us. And so that's why we spend the time we do on a Sunday remembering the crucifixion of Jesus. This final week, In Jesus' life, we call Holy Week. And what we try to do during this week is remember those key events that he did on our behalf. It's quite interesting, the gospel writers spend a lot of time on this week. For example, Luke, one-fourth of his gospel is spent on this week. Matthew, one-third of his gospel. Mark, a little more than one-third. And John, over half of his gospel is spent on this week. And so what I'd like to do this morning is quickly walk us through the week as to what happened and to help us draw to mind the things that happened this week and why it's so important to us. Obviously, today is Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is a prophetic entrance into Jerusalem. Now, in order to understand the significance of this event, we must first remember Passover. Now, you remember Passover, the first Passover, The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, the Lord has said to let his people go. Remember, let my people go, and and Pharaoh said, what are you talking about? No way. And he wouldn't let them go, and so the Lord begins to send judgments, what we call plagues, on Egypt, and Pharaoh still wouldn't let them go. And then the Lord said, God told the people to prepare for the final judgment. It was going to be a plague on the firstborn. And this is what he told him. He said, on the 10th day of the month Nisan, that's the Hebrew month, on the 10th day, each family was to acquire an unblemished lamb, meaning it didn't have any spots or any blemishes on it. And from the 10th day until the 14th day, the lambs were to be inspected for spots and blemishes. And then on the 14th day, the lambs were to be sacrificed. And the blood from the sacrificed lamb was to be sprinkled over each family's doorpost. And the lamb then was to be cooked and eaten with bitter herbs, with wine and unleavened bread. And they were all to be dressed, ready for travel. Well, this is how Exodus 12 talks about what happens. Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Interesting here, right here at the beginning, there's an allusion to the cross. Put it on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on top and on the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses 
and strike you down. Passover. It happened just as God said it would. And the angel of death destroyed the firstborn of those who were not covered by the blood. The people were allowed to go and the people of Israel were delivered from their bondage in Egypt. Now as part of that covenant, God asked the people, he said, every year at this time, on the 10th day of Nisan, you're to go get a lamb. And on the 14th day, you're to sacrifice that lamb and then recall the story of my delivering you out of Egypt. It's called Passover. Well, over the years, Passover evolved. And by the time of Jesus' day, the sacrifice of lambs had become institutionalized. Bureaucracy, you know, government. It was moved to the temple in Jerusalem, and the meal, it became more festive. It became like a party. Passover became the central focus of Jewish religious life. It was the heart and soul of Jewish life. If you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were required by law to attend Passover each year. And for most Jews who lived outside of the Holy Land, they made it their life goal to do whatever they could to get to Jerusalem at least one time for Passover. It was a big deal. It was important. Well, by the time of Jesus, another aspect evolved in the celebration of Passover. Because of the shortage of lambs, the leaders in the temple ordered that a certain group of shepherds were to breed lambs just for the Passover. And these folks became known as the Passover shepherds. These lambs were born and bred for one purpose, to die. Now, there was also a law that the Jews had in place that the herds couldn't graze near a town or a city, especially Jerusalem. Except only one herd could do this, the Passover lambs. And only one week were they allowed to do that, the week before the 10th day of Nisan. From the 3rd to the 10th, they could graze outside the city walls. On the 10th day, they would enter the city. From the 10th to the 14th, they were inspected by the Levites to see if they had any blemishes or spots. And on the 14th day, they were sacrificed in the temple. So why Palm Sunday? How does all this tie in? Well, the prophecy goes like this from Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus sits on the donkey Hosanna, the people cry out. Why does he have to enter this way? He probably entered the city hundreds of times during his lifetime. Why? What the setup? Why? Well, check out the date. It's the 10th day of Nisan. The Lamb of God is entering the city. The Passover Lamb is entering the city. As Jesus entered the eastern gate, the Passover Lambs were being brought in another gate. As Jesus went to the temple courtyard, the Passover lambs were being pinned up over there in the corner. The message of Palm Sunday is that the Passover lamb has entered the city, coming on the right day, the 10th of Nisan, coming in the right way on a donkey, coming to the right place, Jerusalem. As the Levites would be inspecting the Passover lambs for the next four days, Jesus, the Lamb of God, would be inspected examined, questioned, arrested, bound up, and led away to be sacrificed. For the next four days, 
the Lamb of God is converged on by the religious leaders of his day. They question him, they badger him, they try to trick him, they cover all sorts of things. No spot or blemish could be found. They're actually amazed at his teaching. His only failing in their eyes was when the high priest asked him, I adjure you by the living God to tell us whether you are the Christ, the Messiah. I adjure you by the living God to tell us whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And when he answers in the affirmative, that was his death sentence. Because they considered that blasphemy and the punishment for blasphemy is what? Death. He is the Lamb of God. And the Lamb of God on Palm Sunday enters the holy city. Another interesting thing happened on this day. I wanted to call your attention to it as well. Before he gets to Jerusalem, and he's rounding the corner. Well, I'll just read it. This is from Luke chapter 19, verse 30. Some of the Pharisees and the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He started crying. And then he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And of course, a few years later in 70 AD, the Romans did just that in exactly that way. Well, that's Palm Sunday. So let's look at Monday. Monday, the, the big event on Monday was the cleansing of the temple. But on the way to the temple, by the way, Jesus, after he comes into Jerusalem, he goes back out to Bethany, and now he's coming back into Jerusalem on Monday. And he sees a fig tree, and he wants a fig, but he doesn't have any. And so he curses the fig tree. He says to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And if you remember the story, on the next day they're walking by it and the fig tree's all shriveled up. Well, the fig tree, in Hebrew thought of that day, was symbolic of the political leadership of Israel. He's cursing the leaders. Well, then he gets on to the temple. And if you remember the story in the temple... He goes into the temple, and there are all these folks selling doves and pigeons, and, and they're exchanging money and doing all this stuff. And he says in Mark eleven seventeen, Is it not written that my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it into a den of robbers. And he gets a, whip, a, a cord with a, some kind of whip on the end of it, and he begins to sling that thing. And it says that he went through the tent, and he, everybody went scrambling. He ran them out. He cleaned the temple out. Well, here's what was really going on. It's not that Jesus was against the actual things necessary for worship, to, to help people worship, which is what these folks were doing. What the problem was, they had set up all of these booths and all this money changing and all this in the court of the Gentiles. It was the place where the Gentiles could come, the non-Jews could come and pray. And because they had set all this stuff up, the Gentiles couldn't come and seek God and pray. My house will be called a, a house of prayer for all nations. So he cleanses the temple. Well, that's Monday. Tuesday and Wednesday, 
Basically, what we know of these days is they were days of doctrinal challenges and teaching. They would come to him as he was set up in probably one of the colonnade courtyards somewhere around the the temple grounds, and they begin to ask him questions. And actually, so many of the things that we value and that we know from the Scripture are from this week when they would ask him questions. I want to just share with you a couple because I think they're pertinent to what, what today's about. The first is the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. The tenants seized the servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Then he sent other servants to him. More than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. When the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? So Jesus tells the parable, he asks that question, what are they going to do? And the people respond, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give them his share of the crop at harvest time. And then Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. Pretty strong words. He was talking to the religious leaders. Listen to what the next verse says. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him. One other thing I wanted to call your attention to, some of the teaching this week. He'd been in the temple teaching, and in Matthew 24, we find this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him and called his attention to the beautiful buildings. Do you see all these things? Jesus asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives a little later, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then in Matthew 24, some of the most important prophetic words about the end of time that the scripture has to give us. But it's interwoven with the destruction of the temple, and it's also interwoven with the perusia, what we call the second coming, when he's going to come again. But it happened exactly as he said it would in 70 AD. And those of you who go to Israel with us in June, some of you have been with us before, will actually see the stones that are still left from where they were thrown down. And believe it or not, some of them, I mean, this altar table looks small compared to some of them. It's huge. You think, how do they even make these things? 
But the temple was such a magnificent, beautiful structure. And one of the tragedies of the whole thing is the way the Romans worked. They actually made the Jews tear it down themselves. It was like another knife in the heart. So Tuesday and Wednesday were days of doctrinal challenges and teachings. And then we get to Thursday. Now Thursday is the day in which he washed the disciples' feet. Thursday is the day when he eats the Passover, when he institutes communion. Thursday is the day when he gives the new commandment, love one another as I've loved you, John 14 to 16. Thursday's when he has the agony in the garden, when he prays with the Father and he's, he knows what's coming and there's just such a burden and it's not my will but thy will be done. And Thursday's the day when Judas betrays him and Jesus is arrested. And this is what we remember on the Maundy Thursday service. We'll wash some feet. We'll hear God's word. We'll do what Jesus asked us to do, have communion. By the way, it's interesting. I, this kind of jumped out at me this time in studying the text. In the institution of Passover, they were to eat the Passover lamb, and it was to be eaten with wine and unleavened bread. And what was the meal he instituted for us to do in remembrance of him? With wine and unleavened bread. Uh, we'll strip the altar that night, and the church will go dark. And then we'll be in prayer throughout the night and the morning. Remember Jesus said to his disciples, can't you just wait with me one hour? One hour. So that's Monday, Thursday. And then we come to Friday, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. And it's on this day that we see Peter's three denials. It's on this day that Jesus has three trials and is also taken to, uh, before Annas, the, the high priest, the previous high priest. It's on this day that he was crucified. It's on this day that he dies. He was buried. And, and it's on this day that the tomb was sealed. The Romans sealed the tomb and put a, a guard outside the tomb. And this is what the Good Friday services are all about. At 12 noon this year, Jeff Williams will continue his series on the seven words of Jesus from the cross. And at the evening service, we're going to do the liturgy of the word using a portion of the movie The Passion, uh, which gets me every time because, you know, you hear it read from Scripture, but you don't really see it visually. And when you see it visually, you, you really realize what he went through, and it, it was just awful. At 1 o'clock on Friday, we'll also walk through the stations of the cross, the events which happened as Jesus carried his cross up to Golgotha. And I don't know if you've ever noticed the, the different uh, stations around the, the church. Um, each of those partic- uh, depict a scene uh, from one of those events, and uh, we'll do that on Friday as well. And then there's Saturday, the day of rest, the Sabbath. Jesus is bound by death in the grave. And we'll commemorate this event with a simple, quiet service at noonday, the day of rest. And then Sunday, the day of resurrection. Following the Hebrew understanding of a day, which is the the day begins in the evening, and then you have the day, we will begin our Sunday Easter celebration on Saturday night. We'll begin the celebration of the resurrection with the Easter vigil, which places an emphasis on Jesus being the Passover lamb. 
that he is the one that his blood poured out gives us forgiveness of sins and eternal life, that he passed over from death to life, that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and protects us from the avenger, death. We'll hear the story of God's working in human history since creation with numerous readings from the Old Testament. And this service is done in a more solemn and ceremonial way while the church is still dark until the resurrection of Jesus is proclaimed. And at that moment, the church is lighted and the Easter celebration begins as we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead and eternal life and the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins to all who put their faith in him. So what can our response be to this week? I mean, you've heard all this. What, what should be our response? Well, let me give you a couple of suggestions. First, come. Come to the services. Now, some of you can't do that. I remember when my kids were younger and I, my kids were playing ball and, you know, it seems like they always had ball games. You know, it's just such a tr- struggle being a priest and being able to do all these things. So if you can't come, your sermon insert has some scriptures attached to it for each day. Read along on those days, the events that happened those days. Secondly, if you do come, invite somebody to come with you. 70% of Americans would come to church if somebody would invite them. That means 3 out of 10 won't come if you invite them, but 7 out of 10 will. Now, why don't they want, you know, you say, well, they can just show up. If they want to come, they can come. Well, think about it a minute. You don't like to feel awkward. Do you like to go to a strange place where you don't know anybody? You like to go into some environment where you're not sure what they're going to do? People are normal. But if they know somebody, they're more apt to say yes. And why are we emphasizing this? Are we trying to build a big church? We got a big church. The emphasis is this. If what we say happened this week in the death and resurrection of Jesus is real, if it really is real, which it is, then it has eternal significance for people's lives. Isn't that important? Don't we want people to hear and to know? I hope so. It's not about just getting people here. It's about helping them hear the message, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. They may not like this church, and that's fine. If they come to the Lord, that's the important thing. Today's message was by Dr. Foley Beach, Archbishop of the Anglican Church in North America. For more information on this ministry, please visit our website, www.awftl.org. That's awftl.org. There you will find today's sermon and previously aired sermons where you can listen to them again and share them with friends and family. AWFTL has audio and video archives of Dr. Beach's sermons, along with daily devotionals and articles. The website, awftl.org, has download links for our free Apple and Android apps. Also, you can find A Word from the Lord on Facebook. Be sure to click the like button to follow our feed. Additionally, you can follow Dr. Beach on Twitter. His Twitter address is twitter.com at Foley Beach. If you have any comments or questions about the program, you can contact Dr. Beach by emailing him. His email address is foleybeach at awftl.org. Again, his email is foleybeach at awftl.org. You can also contact us by mail. Our mailing address is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. Our mailing address again is P.O. Box 636, Monroe, Georgia, 30655. 
Also, check with this station to find out when they broadcast Dr. Beach's one-minute messages. If this station does not broadcast Dr. Beach's one-minute messages, please request these messages on this station. Whether you send us an email or write to us, we'd love to hear from you. A word from the Lord is made possible by God's grace through your prayers and loving financial support. You can donate to us securely online at our website, awftl.org. Join us again next Sunday for A Word from the Lord by Dr. Foley Beach. It is our prayers from everyone here at A Word from the Lord that you would be seeking A Word from the Lord.